Well, good morning, North Shore. Good good to see you all. I am lead pastor Scott Harris, and uh, it's just an honor to be here. I'm excited for today's message. Um, Love, love this series we're doing. But before I get going, um, you heard Pastor Pat uh, talk about it, uh, and that is a the better voyage or voyage to a better marriage. Right, I make sure I get it right. Uh, so we are heading to Alaska on a cruise, uh, where I will be teaching on marriage, Sandy and I. Um, so uh, one of the, the topics that's so important to me, uh, and I do believe marriage is the fiber of a society. So marriage is something that we need to take seriously. And so I want to invite you to come and have a great time uh, traveling up and to the beautiful state of Alaska in that region. Um, but also uh, on a voyage to a better, better marriage. So whether your marriage is strong and you just want to go have fun, uh, great, come on up. Uh, if you need a bit of a tune-up, you come. Uh, if you are struggling in your marriage right now, uh, make sure you come. Make sure you come, okay? And so we uh, got a good group signed up so far. Uh, this week is um, our group's um, kind of final sign-up. We'll sign up more people later, so if you're still thinking about it, you've got time. But boy, if you're right, there's a, boy, we should go, sign up this week, because what happens is we get a certain classification uh, for those sign-ups before the 29th of January, and we want to take advantage of some of those offerings that the crews will give for our group, okay? I want to welcome those online. I know a lot of you um, uh, worship with us online. I love it. Uh, I know there's two important football games. Uh, The fact that the Seahawks aren't in those games, um, it's a season of mourning for us, okay? So uh, we love you, and we are glad that you are joining us today. Uh, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, And when you get that, uh, or turn to your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And let me just pray over you as you're receiving those Bibles and as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 16. God, have your way with us. Do a good work in us this morning. As we encounter and engage your powerful word, I pray you would transform us as only you can. And you transform us uniquely to each need, each person brought here today. And maybe a need they have yet to discover, but through your word, they'll discover it. So we are yours at this moment. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good. So we are in our series, The Life of David, A Passionate Pursuit of God. Uh, and I'm really coming out of Acts 13, 22. Um, in there, it, it talks about David uh, was chosen because he was a man after God's own heart. So in our series, we get to discover God's heart. As we track and we learn about David, what we get to do is discover God's heart, which is really our chief goal. I love David. He's an amazing man. Uh, God uses a lot of space in Scripture to talk about him, very important. Um, But what we long for is God. What we long for is Jesus. And we want David to take us there. We want David to exemplify a passionate pursuit of God. And the nice thing about looking at David to discover that is David is a man after God's own heart. He's not a special human other than he has a lot in his lineage and his calling, but he's no different than you or I. And so we get to relate to him as we are on our mission here at North Shore to passionately pursue Jesus. 
And so it's a relatable topic. So I encourage you to zoom in, to watch for God's heart as we go through this series, okay? Uh, but bring it down into your own life. And where am I in my passionate pursuit of God? As I discover more and more about the heart of God through this series. So I'm excited. Um, we started off the series with a um, prequel, I called it, right? We had three messages. One was an overview of the life of David. So you can kind of know where we're going, how it unfolds. So you can set in each message deeper. Uh, and then the second one, we looked at uh, setting the right foundation for David to show up in the scene. Okay. And we looked at Hannah in 1 Samuel uh, and Hannah's strong faith to where she dedicated her child. Because remember, she was barren. And God gave her son, Samuel, who would reestablish the faith practice in Israel at the time. And then last week, Pastor Pat uh, took us through what he called the stepping stones, a huge chunk of scriptures, right, from chapter 2 all the way to uh, 15. So a bunch. But he looked at these stepping stones of, of people's lives as we can learn the do's and the don'ts of how to grow in Christ so we can prepare the soil in our life so that we could passionately pursue God. You know, we looked at uh, the priest Eli, uh, his, his renegade sons, Samuel, and even his sons that have strayed, and then King Saul. And those are these stepping stones for us. And they lead us into this important message in the life of David. We're gonna meet David. Aren't you excited? We're going to finally meet him. Okay? So we're going to meet David. And I titled this sermon, God's Pursuit. And I took it out of 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Because what Samuel says in there, and he's talking to Saul in one of these rebukes, he says, God has sought a man after his own heart, his king. So we see, we're going to turn, as we look at David's pursuit of God, we're going to, for this message, look at God's pursuit. God's pursuit. And what you're going to see in God's pursuit, you're going to see that God's plan prevails. And you're going to see that God's man prevails. Okay? So let's jump into 1 Samuel 16. I want to read the first five verses with you. As we look at God's plan prevails. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Verse 2. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what I want you to do and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So what we see is we look at God's plan prevails. First, it starts off with loss. 
we see Samuel, the judge, um, sad, broken, over King Saul, who has been rejected by God. And he is in pain, as you can tell by this. He is sad. Because he's sad because Saul and him had been together for years. So they have experienced a lot. And that connects your heart when you go through a journey together. How many of you have ever been on a team, sports team, veterans, right? When you go into combat with somebody, how it connects your heart at a deep level. So you see Samuel grieving the pain of this loss. Uh, They had some good times. King Saul started off decent. And then he faded and ultimately was rejected. Samuel had invested in him. So his disciple, if you would, fell away. And that breaks your heart. If you've ever poured into anyone's life and they fall away, they walk away, it's heartbreaking. And also the sense of failure of this. Because remember, King Saul, who Samuel anointed, listen to last week's message, really good, more details there, um, was the first king of Israel. Things had shifted from an era of judges and tribes to king, and it's gonna go through David to kingdoms, right? Radical change. Okay, God, you're doing a new work here. And it failed. So it seemed. And so he has deep loss. But God says something to him in that second verse. How long are you going to grieve Saul, whom I have rejected as king? I love this. Because I have provided a king. See, there is a fact that God's plan prevails. He announces it to Samuel. I have already done something. Have you noticed that when you read that verse? God already did it. I have provided a king. In Proverbs uh, uh, 1921, God tells us that God's plans prevail. That is a fact. God's plans prevail. And what is God's plan? Okay, because we see, if you read scripture, right? There are a lot of, it seems, plans falling apart, right? Amen? Right. Your life, if you came and were honest, said there's a lot of plans that didn't work out, right? So when I say God's plan prevails, what am I talking about? Um, God has a plan, an overarching plan that you have to engage the scripture in every story with, and that's God's redemption plan. God has a plan of redemption. The overarching story of our scriptures, the overarching story of our lives, and they will prevail. Just a a quick review of God's redemption plan. Starts in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. God creates his image bearers, and they are his priests, meaning they do his work, they commune with him, and people that were gonna come, they would draw toward him. And then sin enters the world. And there's an interruption. 
of brokenness in relationship. Something needs to be redeemed and restored. The family needs to be brought back together. And I love God. He's so faithful, so full of mercy. He wastes no time. Genesis t- chapter 3, the beginning of it, right? We see sin in the story we all know about Adam and Eve and the serpent. Verse 15, God calls. He says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Woman, from your seed, your, your descendant uh, is going to come and destroy the serpent. There's going to be hostility between them, and he's going to crush his head, it says. It's kind of a cool verse. If you, if you don't like Satan, it's a good one, right? <laughs> I hope it's true of all of you. He sets in motion his redemption plan. So as we go through the story, the macro story, you see Abraham show up. And what Abraham is going to do is he's going to be the father of God's chosen people, the Jews. And he calls them a holy nation, a nation of priests. I mean, they are going to point people to God, right? And they grow and they grow and they end up in Egypt in captivity. And then Moses shows up and takes them uh, to freedom, to the promised land. And on the way, he teaches them um, the sacrificial systems so that they could connect with God, commune with God. And it's a foreshadowing of this promise from Genesis 3, 15, that there's a descendant of Adam and Eve that's going to come and destroy that which broke relationship. He's going to redeem it. And the system that Moses set in place at the tabernacle and ultimately the temple uh, is all about foreshadowing that promised redeemer. And then David comes in, right? David comes in and he unites God's people who are divided. He brings them in. He is the lineage and through his bloodline will come this redeemer. He establishes the temple and the place of worship in Jerusalem where this redeemer will come and sit on the throne of David. So often you see this redeemer in the New Testament called the son of David. Matthew and Luke have genealogies, right? And those genealogies are uh, the mother's and the father's genealogy pointing back to David. Just so you know how significant David plays in this place. And then the redeemer comes and his name is Jesus. And once for all, he's gonna redeem us and restore us This is God's plan. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to be with us today, and that's the age we're in. We get to look back now, not foreshadow, we get to look back to the Redeemer's sacrifice on the cross that restores that relation, that redeems it, and the Holy Spirit that works in us to redeem us every day, moment by moment. And ultimately, Revelation says he will make all things new and redeem all things. And we get this cool spot in history, look back at the cross, look forward to Christ coming again in eternity. That plan will never be interrupted. Never be interrupted, okay? No matter what we see and experience and feel here. And so you see Samuel here in 1 Samuel 16. He's terrified this has come apart and okay, you want me to, you, you've set something up, your plan, what do I do? And here's our path, is to walk by faith. Walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us to walk by faith, not by sight. Faith in God's plan. 
The fact that he every day is making things new. His mercies are new every day, Lamentations tell us. He's redeeming all things, always. So we are to walk by faith with our eyes set on him and not this world. So verse 3, what you see, Samuel, okay. Uh, He says, take a heifer. They're going to do a sacrifice. I want you to remember me. This is about me. So we're going to sacrifice. The way we go to worship through sacrifice, here it goes. Stay with it. Keep your eyes on me, Samuel. Take a heifer to Jesse. And I want you to sacrifice. And you're going to do what I've told you to do. What I've decided I'm going to show you. And he goes, right? Because how do you walk by faith? One step at a time. One step at a time. And sometimes that is the hardest step you'll take, right? It's like, I don't know. Because if you're like me, I want to know the results before I put the foot down. Right? I want to know every step. The absolute most difficult thing is to walk by faith in our humanness. In our faith, it's easy because there's trust. And that's what he's asking Samuel. And that's how we walk through life, one step at a time. And he walks in there, he does, he takes that heifer and he's terrified. And here come the elders of Bethlehem. What are you doing here? They're terrified. You come in peace? If you read the last part of 15, and some of you are gonna sneak over there. I know, but go ahead. Um, I'll keep talking. Um, they have reason to be just a little nervous. Samuel's showing up and boy, woo, God used him to exact some justice in a pretty aggressive way. So they're nervous to know I come in peace. I come here to consecrate, right? Come here to sacrifice is what I'm gonna do. And then he sets apart Jesse and his sons. And so some things I want to encourage you is, um, is just this, okay? When we walk in this world, we are called to walk by faith. And you have to remember this truth. If things don't go the way you thought they should go, did not line up with your plans, God's plans did not die. This is hard. I mean, sometimes we go through this life and there's things that break our hearts. There's things called tragedy we don't understand. So when I say this, know what I mean. Um, When someone dies on earth, God does not die. God's plan does not die. There's something bigger happening. His redemption plan is happening. When something seems unsettled or it gets altered, guess what? God has not been altered. He didn't change. We have to walk in that way of understanding, like Samuel is being taught here, I've got a plan. God says, and and his plan will prevail. And that sets us up. It sets us up as we look at that to this next part of pursuit. Is not only does God's plan prevail, but we're going to see God's man prevail. Okay, I'm excited about this. Let's look at some more scripture. We're going to start reading in verse 6 here. So we'll look at God's man prevails. We're going to look at, first of all, the myths, okay? One thing about us people, um, we're an interesting bunch. And for whatever reason, don't we have a short memory? 
I mean, and I kind of don't, and I'm talking about myself. I don't, I'm not complimenting us right now, right? We have a really short memory, don't we? Um, so you're going to see some short memory stuff here. So the myths, verses 6 through 10. Let's see if I can get these names here. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And this is uh, uh, Jesse's oldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And you just have to, if you understand the text here, uh, confusion is growing, okay? So feel that vibe, because that's kind of how the text is supposed to unfold here. Verse 9, <clears throat> then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these Man, just take yourself there, right? Oh, it had to been frustrating. But what we're going to see here is, as you look at God's man prevailing, you're going to see the myth, right? And I take you back to 1 Samuel 8, um, some of the uh, message that Pat gave last week. Go back and listen to it. It's a great message. Um, but we look at the typical king, right? The typical king. They wanted to be the Hebrew people, 1 Samuel 8, 5, like everybody else. Man, we got these judges. We're supposed to be focused on you. And these guys, judges are running around nudging us to, you know, pursue God. Man, but these guys have kings. Man, they kind of look good. And we want to be like them. That seems to be the better system than your system, God, Right? And God says that. They're not rejecting uh, Samuel. Uh, they're really rejecting him, right? We want to be just like them. We want a typical king, right? That's what they want. And Saul, who they chose in that journey, 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2, is that typical king, right? He is handsome, right? Who just kind of fear of handsome, uh, he is tall. Oh, he is rich, man. He came from a rich, rich household. And we know from other texts that he is brawny, man. He's a big dude, a big military kind of guy, right? I would say that very stately. There he is. That guy could be our king. And here's the, you know, great tragedies that followed that. What does Samuel do in this selection? Who is intimately involved in all the failures and everything else. He does the exact same thing, doesn't he? It must be his oldest son. That's how the system works. Going to get the inheritance. He's bigger, taller. You know, how many of you are oldest child? Any oldest children? Good. You're better than all your siblings, right? You know that. <laughs> You're like co-parent, right? Um, and so uh, Samuel did the exact same thing. This must be him. This is how it works. Uh, is that tragic? 
And he goes through, even after God interrupted him, still expectation that this king will look a certain way. And maybe this is even the greater tragedy. We do the same thing today. We do the exact same thing today. Man, we look at people at their appearances. They look the part. You know, I've been working in churches now for, I don't know, 28, 29 years full time and volunteered years before that. So I've been around this church environment a long, long time. And boy, when I was thinking about talking about this, it comes from a broken heart of what I watched over and over, who I meet at different places and conferences of people's choice for kings that are running our spiritual facilities. We want the good looking one. We want the big one. We want the one with that gift. Oh, their heart's a mess, they're a mess. I don't care. I really like to listen to that person. I love how they write, right? Love how they sing. And we ignore the things that God values, right? It is absolute tragic. And I went to seminary and I would say grew up in the leadership of the church in the church growth movement. Okay, and I'm really, I'm not going to name any names or anything. Just so you know, you're watching my mind. It is filled with names and places. Um, but we're going to grow these churches big in America and pass that to the world. And we've, I told you, my first uh, year in seminary, I felt like I was in entrepreneur training. Most of the classes were on church growth. How to pitch to you to make you come. Right? And I mean, I, all the conversations I had with my fellow students was how big our churches are going to be. Are we surprised at all at the state of the church today in America? Are we surprised at all? Right? Because the, you get a typical outcome when you do that. The nation of Israel was broke because they chose Saul. They're a disarray, and it just unfolds because Saul will become king later. So we're going to have to kind of watch this ugliness, this outcome of choosing man's man versus God's man, God's leader, God's person, God's woman. Saul gets rejected, right? Gets rejected by God in 1 Samuel uh, 13, 13. What happens is um, Samuel decides that he's not going to listen to God. And do his own thing. Impatient. Got to get ahead of it. Got to make this thing work. So, God, you said this time I'm going to do my thing. And he tuned God out. In the first Samuel 15, uh, verse 28, I think, 23, 28, um, what happens is he tunes himself in. Right? God tells him to do one of those kind of Old Testament things. Like, we are all like, okay, God, wow, okay, this is hard to read. Got it, Old Testament, it's a whole different thing. Ouch. Um, he doesn't do it fully. He keeps some spoil of war for him. He keeps some people around that can help him achieve what he wants. He tunes himself in. And he is rejected as a king. We learn he's not God's king. And God says it in 1 Samuel 16, right? That was man's king. 
in a broken nation. And just think about that, the consequences that we face today because of man's kings, man's spiritual leaders. Nationally, again, you're with me. We can start naming names, and it's sad that we can't. The ripple effects of those failures of spiritual leaders reverb all through the world. Nationally, here in America, churches all over falling and crumbling because their spiritual leader um, fell. Even locally, think about it. In the last 25 years, the biggest churches in this region have all had failures from their spiritual leaders, all of them. Anytime we got attention outside of the Seattle area, you can just start putting a clock on it, right? You guys have been in, in faith around this area for a while? And they fell. And the ripple effect is huge. It affects us today right in this room. It's true. It's painful. I think it breaks God's heart. And who's to blame? I believe as a spiritual leader, we got to blame ourselves. Right? We have to be genuine and authentic. Right? We got to be who we are and not to present something that we're not. One thing I hope you guys know for me, this is me on Monday morning. This is me on Wednesday night. This is me. I wish I could be better, a little slicker for you. This is me. I love Jesus, right? That's my responsibility to hold that. And as soon as that fades, I, uh, I'm not looking, thank you. Uh, and as soon as that fades, it's my job to step down from here. If I love God like I say I do, right? But it's also your fault and my fault. Because, you know, we want to be entertained. So we look at unique gifts. Oh, you're good at that. Then you get in front of me. You can write that. You get in front of me. I can't tell me how many meetings I've sat behind closed doors with spiritual leaders. And I said, this is repulsive. But I know everybody loves this person. But they don't know him. They see the outward appearance, right? So it's important for us. We always want God's person, man or woman, in spiritual leadership. And this is where the story gets really, really good. So, you know, that was heavy. There's a miss. But there's a man. And I want to introduce you to the character of our series, David. There's a man that's going to show up. God's man. And he's going to prevail. And we're going to see him go to the throne. We're going to see him unite a kingdom. We're going to see him be in a lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Going to establish a throne and a place of worship that Jesus himself says, I'm going to come and sit on that throne and redeem the whole world. Let's meet David, okay? 1 Samuel 16, verses uh, 11 and 13. So God's pursuit leads to God's man. Listen here. Here's David. The Sa then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. I love this. Like, okay, we're tired of what we just did. Let's do this, something different. Let's do it God's way. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was, I always say this word, uh, ruddy, correct? Did I say it right? Sandy's my check. Okay, ruddy, good. <laughs> 
Um, I'm a big Rudy fan, the movie Rudy, so I go right there instantly. Um, Ruddy, uh, 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 I missed it now. Uh, Ruddy, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And that was where the tabernacle was, if you remember earlier messages. So now we see an atypical king. Not a typical king, right? He was ruddy, handsome and beautiful uh, and young. So to understand what this is, it's basically he's a cute kid. Probably between the age of 10 or 15. Just so you know, if you don't know how old David was. Young. And so when you see in this handsome stuff, don't think about that tall, dark, and handsome stuff that Saul was. This is just a good-looking kid. And luckily, I have not met any ugly kids. So they're all cute. So that's what's happening. Hey, this is a good-looking kid. All right. Um, His occupation is he's a shepherd keeping the sheep for the family, which guess where that ranks in the family? Right? How many of you are the youngest? Right? When the siblings divided the jobs, you got the toilet, didn't you? Right? So that's what he's doing. He's tending to the toilet, taking care of the sheep, out of sight, out of mind, up there. He probably smells not so hot, just so you know. If you want to look at right? He's doing sheep. And he was actively with them up working. So he didn't get consecrated in the way that the others did at the time didn't go to the peace offering that they were doing, the meal. It wasn't dinner ready, if you would. Here he comes out of the field, shows up. There he is. Uh, he's an atypical king. He's God's king, okay? He's God's king. There's something else that is atypical about David. His heart. His heart. God chooses the heart. What is the heart? The heart is the center of us. It's well our will, um, our desires, our emotion, where our choices come from in our life. It's your heart. God is looking toward the heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 says that God is looking to and fro, looking for a heart that is com- completely committed to him. He says, I'm going to pour into that heart and use it for my ministry. So God is looking. He says he is weighing the heart. You look at 1 Samuel 16, 7 that we read just a few minutes ago. God tries to rebuke this whole process of all these older brothers and says, do not look at his appearance, but look at what? The heart. God looks at the heart. Proverbs tells us that God weighs the heart. Weigh means he evaluates, he looks at it. He's going to use it as his criteria for his selection. So what does he see in David? What does he see in David? There's three things I want to point out. Some things that we see that are in place 
before, and because we're going to learn so much about David and his heart. And that list is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it's beautiful and awesome. And I can't wait to preach and teach on it. But what do we know right now? We know three things. First of all, we know about David's faith. Then we're gonna, we know about his humility and we know about his integrity, okay? David has a deep faith. God kept announcing, why is he choosing him and why did he reject Saul? It's because of this. Saul did not obey God, David did. Depending on your translations, you're looking at Acts uh, 13, 22 or uh, 1 Samuel uh, 13, 14. Uh, it says, he's gonna be my prince. That's, it's going to be David because he's, you didn't obey me, Saul. <laughs> David does. He has a heart that is completely God's. He has a deep, deep faith. As I quoted before, 1 Chronicles 16.9, again, depending on your translation, if you look it up later, um, it said he is looking for a heart that is completely his fully his. And we see that in David. God saw that in David. He is a man of deep, deep faith. And I love this about David's faith. Where it is seen, it's in the quiet, in the fields, away from everybody else. See, we can all fake faith, right? The phrase we use is Put on your Sunday best and show up. That phrase means I'm going to put a facade on. I'm not going to let you know we fought all the way coming to church. I'm not going to tell you the struggles we have with, you know, at work all week long. I'm going to put on my Sunday best. And I'm going to walk out something that's not a complete truth. I'm good. I'm fine. So, and I'm hoping as you hang at North Shore, you know, maybe I call it the new North Shore, one of our highest values being genuine and real because we want nothing other than Jesus. And fakeness has no space around Jesus, right? David wasn't fake. He had a heart that was all God's and God saw it. He said, that's what I choose. That's what I weighed. So what are some elements of his heart we can see in this early stages? I take you to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Um, and you're going to see that humility and integrity. Psalm 78 verses, um, make sure I get this right. Uh, I think it's 70, 71, and 72. Um, well, he says he's talking about David uh, being chosen and in the sheepfold as a shepherd. He says, he was my servant. He was my servant. Okay, the characteristic of a servant is somebody who humbles them before their king, before their God, before Jesus, right? David was humble. He was a servant. Not my way, but your way, God. And I'm going to humble myself to you. The opposite of humility is pride. So as God chooses and weighs and loves humility, he says this in Proverbs uh, 8.13. He hates pride. It's hard to put those two words, God and hate, together, isn't it? It makes us a, a little uncomfortable. We should, and it should uh, make us take back and listen. He hates something. What, what's he hate? 
hates pride. Why does he hate pride? Why does love himself hate pride? Because what pride does, it takes God off of his rightfully placed and thrown in our lives where our faith and trust in him and his way live and it puts us on it. It is actually the greatest hurdle of your faith walk is pride. Nothing will destroy you faster in your journey with Jesus than pride. Nothing will destroy relationship with God and God's community than pride. And God hates it. But he found in David a servant, somebody who was humble, was humble before him. And you guys know, I mean, I heard this uh, adage, it's so good. Um, it said, a church is like a pool. All the noise comes from the shallow end. <laughs> Isn't that a good picture? Because humble people don't, it's not my way, got to have it this way. They, I want Jesus. That's all I want. And they are servants. They're part of the spiritual family. They pull their sleeves up and like Christ offer their very life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? David was humble. His heart was humble. And his heart was full of integrity. Psalm 78, verse 72, you see at the end there, your translation may say upright. NIV says integrity, but they, they, it means that same thing. Is his heart was aligned and right and pure to what the pursuit was, Right? And integrity is this. It is the outward action coming out. So what David believed in his heart, and he practiced. Right? Called to be faithful to God. Guess what? You saw that in his life. He had integrity of his faith practice. Oh, it's the hard, hardest thing we do. Don't raise your hand. I'm going to put guilt on all of us. Me too, okay? How many of us believe that scriptures teach thou shalt not gossip? How many of us gossip? Oh, right? God wants our lives and our faith walk to have integrity, to be upright. Because what happens is that is when we experience the blessings of God. Scripture teaches that blessings come from obedience. It's not what you know. It's not even just what you believe, but it's what you put into faith practice is where the blessings are found. Because that's when you're putting your trust truly in him. It's like, okay, I'm going to live this way. You heard Pat praying for the offering. I'm going to give because God asked me to give. I would really like to keep it all. I would like a new boat, new this, new that, new that. I want to make sure retirement's good, secure, so I don't have to worry. Versus say, no, I'm going to be a giver a generous giver. I'm going to trust you, right? This integrity of what we believe to be true. And it goes boom, 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 all through it. Any area of life could be put aside and said, is there integrity of heart of that belief? What scripture has to say, what God teaches us in life practice. David had a heart of integrity because I love this. When you have a heart with integrity, people see your Jesus. Why did the kingdom unite? Yes, there's battles and all those things, but people 
saw God, a passionate pursuit of God in David, God became real. A lot of us, especially in our culture and where it's going, is we're going to be the only Jesus that people are willing to look. Look, look across that desk in the office, right? In that back room around the water cooler and say, man, you're something different about you. That's the Jesus coming out. That's the Jesus coming out, right? That integrity of heart is what God uses to expand the gospel. To exact his redemption story in us and through us. So what's our next step? What do we do with all of this, right? Um, hopefully be thankful. God is good. His plans prevail. We have to walk by faith. We have to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I already quoted it. And that first step you have to take in faith is giving your heart and life to Jesus to admit and repent, turn from your ways of your sin. Because sin is the great hurdle, the great interrupter of the redemption story of bringing us back together as family, family of God. You and your God and Savior, Jesus Christ. says, yes, I'm a sinner, I fall short. I ask for forgiveness. So if you haven't taken that first step, everything I said, ignore it. Do that. And I've been in churches for a long time where people who've been there for decades said, you know what? I was just a social Christian. He wants your heart. He, wants, he doesn't want your religion. He wants your heart. You take that step. You be bold because he promises he'll make it new. He'll redeem it. And in a beautiful way, everything changes. Walk by faith. If you're struggling walking by faith, as a believer, say, God, I want to walk by faith. I want to trust you, and I'm going to start putting one foot in front of the other that is full of faith. And I'm going to try to get away my practice of walking in the way of this world, even if it's subtle. And the second part is our hearts. We have to cultivate a heart that God is looking for. Right? And we'll just use David's thing. You know, his faith, his commitment, his complete faith, his humility, and his integrity of heart. That's like a soil. You know, think of your heart like a soil. We have to cultivate in that. And those seeds that God puts in there of faith and these other elements that are Christ-likeness will grow and blossom and bear fruit. That not only you will pick and eat, but the world around you will. And God will get the glory. And here's the good thing about this heart work for us. It's not on your strength. It's this interesting, all this you get by surrendering. See, God, move me inside. You see David, when he talks about being full of the Holy Spirit, and that's going to play out in his life. It starts, God has departed uh, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you with a helper, a counselor. The Holy Spirit's going to indwell you. And our job is to get out of the way and surrender to him and let the Holy Spirit work in our heart and our lives and grow faith, grow humility, grow integrity. It's not you working harder. It's a paradigm shift of thinking. It's an oxymoron. 
it's a conundrum, right? I'm going, oh, you keep going, right? It's confusing. How's it work? I get victory through surrender? Yes. Because in our surrender as a Christian, what fills that void of surrender is God himself and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? So we're just going to sing, and I encourage you, whatever God has spoken and said to you today, um, be authentic, be genuine, have integrity of heart, and you deal with it. We're going to have a prayer team up here. Um, you can pray in your seat. There's a prayer room back there. I'll be here for a bit, and then I'll be back there. Um, just go as brothers and sisters in Christ, and let's pray. So will you stand with us, North Shore? I love you guys.